Well, good morning. It's good to be with you in worship, and uh, especially those of you who are joining us online, I want to welcome you. We're thankful for the connection that uh, is able to keep you with us, even though you can't physically be here, uh, but it is good to just worship the Lord together. There's something about corporate worship that makes a difference, and I'm, I'm thankful uh, to be here with you today and to experience uh, what God has for all of us. Um, there is a QR code that if you are online or you're here and you didn't get notes and you want to follow along or you want those uh, small group questions uh, for later in the week, you can scan that QR code. It has all the scriptures for today. Um, or um, if you have your Bibles with you, you can turn with me to Matthew chapter 5, which is going to be uh, our primary text for today, and we're going to kind of come back to that a couple of times, but Matthew chapter 5, uh, beginning at verse 13, uh, but it is, it's good to be able to talk about what it is that Jesus calls us to. And so I, I titled this sermon, Salty Words, uh, we're kicking off a new series um, this morning, and uh, we're talking about the power of words, and uh, there is just real power in words, that it is true that words create worlds. And uh, how we use our words has great, great power. And that old saying, sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me, is the stupidest thing that anybody ever said. Um, it's just true. Words hurt a lot more than sticks and stones. There are some of us that are carrying around words that someone spoke to us as a child or as a teenager or years ago, and those words have shaped us. Those words have wounded us in ways that sticks and stones never could. Um, you know, you get a bruise, you break an arm, you'll get better uh, within a season of time. You can put a cast on that, but words leave marks that carry on for years and years and years. And so, uh, whereas I think sometimes we wanna talk about the power of our negative words, what I want us to do in this series is I wanna talk about the power of our positive words. The, the power of words that can create positive things in people and that can change people for the better. And so today we're gonna talk about salty words. Um, Jesus told us that we were to be salt, and that we were to be light. And so what does it look like for us to have salty words? And I know that has kind of double meaning. Uh, and uh, we're going to talk about the positive of salty words. I was in the military for 22 years. And a lot of people use a lot of salty words in the military. We're not going to talk about those salty words. We're going to talk about the salty words that Jesus would call us to. Um, that, that somehow our words should cause people to be thirstier for Jesus should cause people, our lives and our words, should cause people to thirst for more of God in their lives. And so uh, today we're gonna talk about salty words. Next week, we're gonna talk about the words, I believe in you, and, and the power of those words and, and the difference that they can make in the people around us. And then on the 14th, we're gonna talk about the words, I'm proud of you, and, and how those words uh, can, can shape and, and have power in, in others' lives. And then finally, the words, I forgive you, on November 21st. And, uh, there are, those are words that, that some of us uh, need to share with others, uh, and some of us long that, that someone would say to us, but they are powerful, 
powerful words, and they are words that Scripture calls us to. So I hope that you will be here or tune in with us every week as we go through this series and we talk about the power of our words and look to Scripture to see what, what Scripture calls us to and, and how we are to use our words to, to make a difference in the world. And so um, although we're jumping into a new series this morning, I feel like this is a bit of a continuation, particularly this message, on Jonah. And so if, you, if you're new with us, uh, you don't know this, but uh, last week we ended a four-week series um, on the book of Jonah. And um, what, I'm, what I'm discovering, even as I was preparing for this message, is that this is really kind of a continuation of this Jonah series, because the reality is when, when it comes time to the people that God calls us to love and, and the people that God calls us to reach out to and the way that he calls us to do that, we are, as we said in the series of Jonah, we're just a lot like Jonah. And I was reminded, even in preparing this message, how much like Jonah I am, how often God calls me to do something and I ignore it, how often God calls me and tells me to do something clearly in Scripture and I run in a different direction. And, and when it comes time to us being salt and us being light in a dark world, this is just an example of exactly uh, the kind of thing that we saw in the book of Jonah. So if you have your Bibles, uh, we're going to start off in Matthew, the book of Matthew, uh, chapter 5. Matthew's the, the first book of the New Testament. Um, and uh, we see here in Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 to 16, Jesus uh, in the Sermon on the Mount, which is kind of one of the, the most important, uh, there, there's certainly... Uh, some of the, the most uh, core thoughts of, of what Jesus calls us to are found in the Sermon on the Mount. And here in Matthew 5, verses 13 to 16, he talks about salt and light. And it says this, Jesus says, you are the salt of the earth. But what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. You are the light of the world. Like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. This is God's word for us today, and we are thankful for it. Would you uh, pray with me as we jump in uh, to talk about what Jesus has to say to us here? Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for these words that call us to something that we just recognize we fail at. These words that call us to be salt. And these words that call us to be light. Lord, we recognize that there are times where we have not been as salty to those who don't know you all around us. There are, the, there are times that, that we have hidden our light and we have not shone brightly in a dark world. So God, I pray that today you would help us you would call us, you would challenge us from your word to be the kinds of people 
that you desire us to be. That those of us who are in this room, those of us who are online, who are already your followers, that we would truly be salt and we would truly be light. And Lord, for those who are here and they're exploring whether they want to put their faith in you, for those that are online and they haven't quite made the decision that they want to put their trust in you, I pray that you would help them see what it is that you're calling them to and that they would understand that the ugliness that they sometimes see in the church is not the church that you have called us to be. It is the brokenness of this world. Lord, I pray that you would help us to be a church that would reflect who you want us to be and not the brokenness of this world and forgive us for the times that we miss the mark. Lord, we recognize that we have not done this well and we pray for your forgiveness and we pray that you would empower us with your Holy Spirit to be the men and women that you've called us to be and we ask these things in Jesus' name, amen, amen. So this, this image of salt is a, is a very simple image. Um, and, and Jesus could have gone in a lot of directions with this, um, but you know, when, when we think of salt, we all understand the power of salt, right? If you've ever had some green beans that didn't have salt on them, you understand the power of salt, right? Um, and if you are one of those unfortunate souls that are on a low sodium diet or a no salt diet, then you understand, you know, this is like, this is, you're craving this right now. I should hide it from those of you who are on a, a low sodium, you know, do you understand what it is to have food that doesn't have salt on it? And Jesus, he, he just says to us, we are to be salt, that, that we are the salt of the world. And it's, it's interesting because the meaning is so simple. Jesus does this all the time. He takes something really simple and he says, this is how you can apply this to the kingdom of heaven. And, and this is what we know. We know that a pinch of salt, just a little bit, can make an entire pot of stew taste better, right? Um, we know that a, a pinch of followers of Jesus who are truly being the kinds of followers of Jesus that we're called to be can make an impact in a large area. And we certainly saw this in the early church. There was a handful of followers of Jesus that literally changed the world. They, they literally changed the world, not because of who they were, but because of what God had done in them and because of the message that they proclaimed, which was the good news of Jesus Christ, that Jesus was who he said he was and that his resurrection from the grave proved that everything he ever said was true and it was the truth. And, and Jesus could have gone in a lot of directions with this metaphor of salt. He could, have, he could have talked about, you know, that, that salt was a preservative. And, and certainly before refrigerators, uh, salt was used in the ancient world to preserve food. And, and it was to, to keep food uh, from spoiling. Um, it, it, he could have talked about how it was used as an antiseptic. That um, if you've ever had an open wound and gone to the beach, who's done that? Woo, right? You get into that salt water and man, you feel it, right? Um, if you put salt in an open wound, it hurts. But you know what? It has an antiseptic type 
uh, form to it, that it actually can kill bacteria, that it, it can be used in that way to kill germs, that uh, salt can actually be used, the same thing that can kill germs can actually be used as a fertilizer in small doses and can help certain things grow. Um, and, and so it has so many uses, and yet Jesus took the most simple form took the, the most simple example of what salt was to be used for, that it just makes food taste better. It just makes bland food better. It, it makes things that were okay really good. And, and he says that's the kind of people that we are to be, that, that we are to be salty Christians. Um, and uh, that our words should be like salt, that people should be thirstier for God because they interacted with us. And so um, how, can we, how can we do that? What we're going to talk about this morning is how can we use our words and how can we use our life to be more salty and to draw people to Jesus in greater ways? How, how can we uh, express the love of Christ in ways that when people interact with us, particularly people who are unchurched and people who would say, I don't have a relationship with God, how those people, because of our interactions with them, can be thirstier for the things of God instead of being repulsed by the church. And instead of saying, you know, the things that we hear a lot in our culture today is, you know, I like Jesus and, I, and I'm for Jesus, but it's those Christians that drive me crazy. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm for Jesus, but it's the church people that really bother me, you know, and it's, and why is that? How can we be more like Jesus and be attractional to people who are far from God? And, and while we do that, be like Jesus and continue to communicate the truth, because it's, it's not true to say, in order to be attractional, you have to somehow not share the hard truths of Jesus. Jesus did this so well. He, he was very attractional, but he called people to go and sin no more. He was very attractional, but he never changed the understanding of what people were called to of truly being followers of Jesus and truly following him and, and picking up their cross and following him in a way that they would lay down their desires and their wills in surrender to his desire and his will. And so um, I, I was thinking about this in particular um, for today, because for those of you who don't know this, if you have children, you do know this. Um, but for those of you who don't have children or grandchildren, you might need to be reminded of this, that tonight is Halloween. Now, I know there's a lot of... There's a lot of uh, you know, within the church, um, there, there are all kinds of strong opinions uh, on Halloween, and I, I don't even want to debate all those, and I would just say, you're welcome to your strong opinions. All I want to say is, is while we are, while we're going into this night um, that is um, very divided in Christian opinions, um, my, only, my only statement to you is, we are called to be light in the darkness. Tonight, You'll see this. There's a lot of darkness that's reflected um, at Halloween. There's, there, there is a lot of, you know, you'll, you'll just see a lot of darkness all around. Um, and we as the church can do one of two things in the midst of darkness. We can run away and we can hide and we can shut our doors and close our blinds and turn the lights off. That's an option. All right? I think that's kind of like 
putting your bushel over the light. Um, I, I, I would say maybe a better stance would be for us to be light in the midst of the darkness. Now, this really doesn't have a whole lot to do with where we're headed with this sermon, but I, I was reminded of this story and it's just a great story. So I wanted to tell you this story. Um, and uh, Chip and Dan Heath wrote a book years ago uh, called Made to Stick. It, it was a book all about how, um, how you can make ideas sticky and how you can make um, uh, different things sticky in people's lives. And a wonderful book, very research-based. And they tell the story in the book how in the 1960s and the 1970s, Halloween came under attack uh, because rumors circulated that uh, Halloween sadists were putting razor blades in apples and poisoning pieces of candy. How many of you remember this? Like when, it, yeah, like the razor blades and apples and, you know, and this was when there was a huge movement in the 60s and 70s where uh, churches and schools for the first time ever opened up safe alternatives to actually just doing trick-or-treating. That, that was like kind of a, a first wave. And it was not a reaction against the evil and the darkness of Halloween as much as it was a reaction against the safety of maybe getting a razor blade in your apple and maybe uh, getting some poisoned candy. Um, and so anyway, it was, it was a huge, huge thing. Uh, hospitals began to volunteer to x-ray candy bags uh, for, uh, it was just, there was this big movement. Um, and uh, in 1985, ABC News uh, did a poll where 65% of parents worried that their kids might be victimized by somebody putting a razor blade in an apple or poisoning the candy. Um, to this day, to this day, most parents uh, will tell their kids, don't take any candy that's not prepackaged, right? How many of you have said that to your kid? We've said, you know, like, you're right, you know, like, it, it's, this is, this is hugely influential, all right? Now, what's interesting is in 1985, there was a group of researchers that did a very uh, detailed research study on this phenomenon of the razor blades and the apples and the poisoning of candy. And what they discovered after they studied every single reported incident of Halloween poisoning or razor blade from 1958 up until 1985 was that they discovered that there were zero instances where strangers caused life-threatening harm to children at Halloween by tampering with their candy. Zero. The whole thing was a rumor. The whole thing was false. The, the whole thing was, was something that became viral, that attached to us because this was a sticky idea because it wasn't just an intellectual thought, but it was emotional and it connected in a deep part of where parents were. Um, and there, there was two incidences that they discovered where children did die from candy being tampered with. But both of those children, uh, their candy was tampered, unfortunately, by family members and not by strangers. And so what that says is that according to the, the best research in sociology that is out there, is taking candy from strangers is okay. <laughs> it's your family that you have to watch out for. Um, now, again, 
that doesn't have a lot to do with this, except for tonight's Halloween, um, and except for um, certainly darkness is celebrated on this night. And I, I just want us to be a church and us to be a people that would say, hey, instead of running away and hiding from the darkness, how can we be a light in the midst of the darkness. And so for, for several years now, uh, we've done different things over the years, but for the last few years, we've done something where we've had these candy bags that we have given out to you. I think we gave away 2,000 of these candy bags um, in the last uh, several weeks um, that just has a topper on it, um, and it just has Crossbridge Church uh, gather with us, and it has our service times, and it talks about kids' ministries. And, and here's, here's what I know. Um, in Chelsea Park, at least, um, where we live, um, if, if somebody, if a kid comes through Chelsea Park and they trick-or-treat, there is a great likelihood that at the end of the night, when that kid dumps out their candy in the living room, I don't know if everybody does, this is what our family does, and they dump it out in a pile and then you parse it and then the kids start like doing this swap and then mom and dad take their tax, because um, that's a really important um, there's, like, there's definitely a minimum, you know, 25% tax uh, because we actually, you know, we're, we walked with you, right? Um, so um, so when, when a kid, at least in our neighborhood, dumps this out, there's, there's a great likelihood that they're going to get anywhere from five, depending on how much they walk the neighborhood, they could probably get five to ten of these that would be in their stash of candy. And and for a parent that's unchurched and, and might be interested of saying, hey, you know, maybe it's time that we find something for our kids. Maybe it's time that we find some place. And, and, and if God's working in their life already, and we believe that, we believe the Holy Spirit is already at work in people's lives, um, that it could be that getting five or six toppers like this, inviting them to a church that's right around the corner would be enough for them to say, you know, what, maybe, maybe we should check that place out. Maybe we should, obviously they care about kids, and obviously we have kids, and maybe we should go and, and try that church out. And, and I just think it's, it's one way. It's not the only way. It, it's certainly not the final way uh, that, that we can uh, be a light in the darkness. But I, I was reminded of this passage um, in John chapter 1, verses 4 and 5, where Jesus says that his life brought light to everyone, and the light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. Let's be clear about this, church, that we are not called to run away from darkness. We are called to run into darkness. And we are called to be a light in the midst of darkness. And be creative in how you do that. I, I love, um, last year, uh, Pastor Teresa um, and, and Tim did something really fun. They actually turned their entire house into a Toy Story theme. Um, and uh, they had Pastor Mark come dressed up as Woody um, and actually played Toy Story music out in front of their house as, as kids were coming through. And, um, you know, I just, there are so many creative ways where our houses and our, uh, our, our place on the street can be not the place that has the, the, the lights turned off and the doors bolted and, you know, a sign that says, you know, you shouldn't celebrate Halloween, you know, because I'm just telling you that's not going to connect well with the six-year-old. Um, I know theologically you might be right. I know that, you know, but the six-year-old just says this is a mean house with mean people, right? I, and, and again, 
whatever stance you have on this, there's room for disagreement on this in the church. This isn't one of the, the core things. But let's just, as we disagree on how to do this, let's agree that we are called to be light. Do that in whatever way the Holy Spirit allows you to do that, but be light in the darkness tonight. Don't, don't, be, don't be someone who, if people in your neighborhood know you're Christians, don't, this, this is the one night a year. Only happens once a year. This is the one night of year where unchurched children will come to your door. Church, why would we miss this? It literally only happens once a year. There's not another night, there's not another day where unchurched children, children who don't have the gospel shared with them on a regular basis and the love of Jesus shared with them on a regular basis, there's only one night a year where they come and knock on your door. I'm just saying, while that happens, be light. Be somehow engaging, at least be kind, right? Just um, to, to do this. So um, there are all kinds of creative ways um, do that. Uh, don't be afraid of the darkness tonight. Our, our Lord has overcome the darkness. We are not afraid. We're not supposed to be fearful people that we are given a spirit of boldness, that, that there, the demons were afraid of Jesus. I, I was just listening uh, to a sermon yesterday. Uh, this isn't in my notes, but I'm going to tell the story anyway. Um, I was just listening to a sermon yesterday um, where the pastor was talking about uh, the, the passage in Scripture where there was these seven sons of an exorcist. Um, and these seven sons of an exorcist saw Paul casting out demons, and, and they wanted to have this, you know, they, they wanted a taste of this. And so they tried to cast out the demon. And the demon's response was, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but I don't know you. And then beat beat them so badly they ran out naked. And there are definitely moments um, in a fight, and if you've ever seen a fight, um, some of you are like, I've never seen a fight. Um, if you've ever seen a fight, after every fight, there's always arguments over who won the fight. You know, there's like, oh, you know, they, they did this, or, you know, they, they landed that. Um, but if you ever go into a fight wearing pants, and you leave without pants, you lost. No debate, no debate, no, there was no debate who won that fight. What, what we need to be is a church that is not, because the reason that those, that demon won was because they didn't come with the power of Jesus. They came in their own power. Here's the deal. We need to be a church that is filled with the power of the spirit, that is filled with light, filled with saltiness, that can literally not be afraid of the darkness, but can charge the darkness, knowing that light was meant to penetrate darkness and make a difference. And, and so don't, let's not tonight be filled with fear. Let's not tonight be filled with, you know, what, what is Satan going to do? Let's be filled with what can Christ do through us in the midst of the darkness? What can Christ do through us in the midst of people who maybe aren't even looking for the good news, but we can be people that can share it with them in creative ways uh, tonight? And so um, as, I was, as I was thinking about all of this and, and thinking about just the fact that your neighbors are gonna be knocking on your door. Um, I was reminded a couple of years ago, we, we went through a series called The Art of Neighboring, and it was based on a book uh, with that same title, The Art of Neighboring. And 
um, as, we, as we went through this, we talked about how when most of us answer the question, who is your neighbor, we all get the right, especially if you've been in church for a long time, if you're a really churchy person, you know the answer to that, everyone's my neighbor, right? Um, that is the right theologically correct answer, but the problem when you say everyone's my neighbor is it gets a little bit hard uh, to actually love everyone. And, and it's just, it's a little overwhelming. It's like, well, I, I don't know if I can do that. And then what happens is, is in the midst of not being able to love everyone, we don't love anyone. And so in that series, we defined who is your neighbor. And it was a really profound definition of who is your neighbor. And we defined it as this, my neighbor is my neighbor. I know that's deep. I know that's really, really deep. But at the, at the lowest common denominator, when Jesus says that we are to love our neighbors, who is your neighbor? Your neighbor is your neighbor. The little kid that comes and knocks on your door tonight, that's your neighbor. That's, you know, unless they, unless you live in one of those neighborhoods that gives the full candy bars and everybody commutes to you, um, maybe they're not their neighbor, but you know, um, for the most part, the, the kids that knock on your doors tonight, these are your neighbors. And so how can we love our neighbors? Um, so look to the person next to you and just tell them that means the person that lives next to you is your neighbor. Just tell them that they need to know that. Um, the person that lives next to you is your neighbor. Um, that's who your neighbor is, and Jesus calls us to love our neighbor. Um, going back to Jonah, if God calls us to love our neighbors, and we don't even know their names, how much like Jonah are we? If God calls us to love our neighbor, and our neighbor is our neighbor, and we don't even know their names, we don't know anything about them. We've never intentionally built a relationship with them. How much like Jonah are we really? Because God clearly tells us, love your neighbor. And many of us don't even know who they are because we live in a culture that is so isolated and so separated from who our neighbors are. And, and we, we go into our garage, we close the garage door, we have privacy fences, we, we are so isolated from one another that we don't even know who our neighbors are. And how can we change that? How can we be what Jesus calls us to be? Galatians 5.14 says this, the whole law is made complete in this one command, love your neighbor the same as you love yourself. In, in Luke chapter 10, if you have your Bibles, uh, we were in Matthew, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, so a couple books later. In, in Luke chapter 10, uh, Jesus um, actually tells a story that, that we're not going to go into the story this morning, but, but I would encourage you to read this on your own in Luke chapter 10. But in Luke chapter 10, um, there is then an encounter between Jesus and and a, a teacher of religious law, or an expert in religious law. And it says this in Luke chapter 10, verse 25, one day an expert in religious law stood up to test Jesus by asking him this question. Teacher, what should I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus replied, what does the law of Moses say? How do you read it? And the man answered, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, 
all your strength and all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Right, Jesus told him. I love this. Do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. So there, there is this emphasis in Luke chapter 10, verse 28, on this do this and you will live. Now, again, this is why this is a piggyback on Jonah. Because Jonah had all the right answers, right? Jonah knew what he was supposed to do. Jonah knew he was supposed to go to Nineveh. Jonah had all the right theological answers. What was his problem? His problem was he didn't do what he knew. And our problem is that we don't do what we know. And Jesus says, hey, it's great that you have all these answers. It's great that you know you're supposed to love God. And it's great that you know you're supposed to love your neighbor. Now do this. Because it is the obedience that matters. The, the real issue is not do you know the right answers. The real issue is what are you doing with the answers that you have. And I, I think this is so true for us in the church. We have so much knowledge that we're not being obedient to. And, and many of us, we, we crave, you know, I, I, I want... I want a new, new information, new knowledge, you know, and, and we crave Bible studies and, and we crave more information and we are, we're hungry for answers and, and we, we look for that new revelation and that, that new insight and that, um, and the truth of the matter is God's saying, listen, I've given you a lot of information already. Will you be obedient to what I've called you to? Will you be salt? Will you be light? Will you love your neighbor? Will you go out from this place and go into the world and make a difference? Will, will you impact people who are far from me in such a way that they thirst for more of me instead of being repulsed by you? And instead of saying, hey, I, I like Jesus, but it's those church people that I can't stand. What? How can we be the kind of people that he calls us to be? And so... Uh, I, love, I love this passage in Acts 17, 26. It says, God began by making one man, and from him he made all the different people who live everywhere in the world, and he decided exactly when and where they would live. So um, this is really helpful for you if you thought that you lived where you lived because you liked the floor plan on your house. If you thought that you lived where you lived because you liked the school system, if you thought that you lived where you lived because a job brought you to where, it, if, you, if you thought that you lived where you live for any other reason other than God was at work orchestrating and leading and doing things to bring you to where you are and to bring the people who are around you there, then you are mistaken because according to this passage, and if scripture is true, and it is, then God has led you to the place where you are. And the people who you are around, your neighbors, the people that you work with, the, the people that you rub shoulders with on a regular basis, he's placed you there to make a difference in their life. And too many of us, myself included, don't do enough to interact with those opportunities that are all around us. And part of the reason is, is that we get so caught up in so many other things in our lives. And sometimes it crowds out, the, the busyness of our lives crowds out that which is most important. But again, in Matthew chapter five, 
Matthew chapter 5, it says in verse 13 through 16, You are the salt of the earth. What good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It'll be thrown out. It'll be trampled underfoot and worthless. And you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. When Jesus spoke of salt and light, it was two images that were well known in his day. It's two images that are well known to us today. The the ancient world understood salt probably better than we do. It had a value back then that it doesn't have today, mainly because it was rare. In the Roman days, if you don't know this, this is where the root word of salary came from. This is, uh, in the Roman world, soldiers were often paid in salt, and this is where the phrase came, he's not worth his salt. Um, And so there there was an understanding of the immense preciousness of salt in the ancient world. And Jesus says, that's who you are. That's who you are. Go and be those kinds of people. And unfortunately... Some Christians, uh, when they lose their saltiness, they often try to save the world with pepper spray. And that's not helpful. It's not helpful when we try to save the world with pepper spray. We're way better off when we try to save the world with light. Uh, So uh, salt is, is this hidden, powerful influence that you don't see it unless you're eating a pretzel, and then it's, you want to see it on the pretzel, right? Uh, but, but mostly, it just blends in, and, and we're, we're called to blend in um, and to be in the world and to make the world better because of the flavor that exudes uh, from our lives. We're called to be light. Now, what's interesting is salt isn't meant to be seen. It's meant to blend in and make, a, make it taste better but light is meant to be seen. It's meant to be brought out and highlighted. And we're called to be that. We're called to have a flavor that draws people to Jesus and be a light that penetrates the darkness. And so I would just, I would challenge us as a church tonight, but not just tonight, every single day to be that kind of church, to be salt and to be light. Because it doesn't do any good if you keep the salt in the shaker. It doesn't do any good if we keep the light of Christ and the salt of Christ in the church. We've got to go and we've got to sprinkle it everywhere that we go. I want to pray and uh, ask you to bow your heads and um, I want to take a moment uh, to to really just help us recognize how we miss this and how God can help us with this. And so let's pray. Lord, we, we are hungry for more of you in our lives. We recognize that we miss this. We don't get this right. We, we sometimes 
get so focused on what you're doing in us that we forget that you've called us to go out and to be salt and to be light in the world. And, and Lord, we have all kinds of excuses. We say, well, we're not perfect. We don't have it all together. And, and when we're perfect and we have it all together, we'll start to share you with others. And, and Lord, we just forget that we'll never be perfect. We'll never have it all together, but we are broken people that you are healing and you are restoring and, and you have forgiven. And we are salt. You don't tell us that we should be salt. You say we are salt. You don't tell us that we should be light. You say that we are light. So Lord, help us to understand that whether, whether we have it all worked out or not, if we have made the decision to make you Lord of our life, to forgive us of our sins, and, and to, to be the, the primary uh, throne sitter on our life, and, and we have surrendered our will to your will, that you and you alone are what creates the light in our life. And even in the midst of our brokenness and even in the midst of our flaws and, and even in the midst of the areas that you are still working in us, that we can be changed and we can express your light to the darkness all around us. Help us to do that tonight. Help us to do that every day in the weeks to come. Help us to use our words to be salty and to make a difference in the lives of others around us. And we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Normally, um, one of our pastors would come up and, and, and we would talk about our response at this time um, and, and how do we respond to God's goodness. And, and I, I just want to remind us, if you're here and you're a guest, if you're here and you're not a follower of Jesus, then your only response is to receive the grace of Christ and to ask Jesus to be Lord of your life and, and to accept all that he offers you. And, and we don't want anything from you. We want something for you. But if you're here and you're a follower of Jesus and you've already said, I'm going to surrender my will to your will and you've declared that everything I am is yours and you are king and I am servant and you sit on the throne, then, then there are responses to, to that. Because God always gives to us first and we simply respond. And we respond in a lot of ways. And, um, and, and if there's ways that you want to respond, um, that God's working in you, there are communication cards that are in the chair backs in front of you. And, and you can fill out one of those cards and let us know because we want to pray for you. And you can drop those in the offering baskets in just a moment. But one of the other ways we respond is worship. And we're going to worship in a closing song in just a moment. Uh, but the other way we respond is through giving. And we, we talk about tithing here, and we talk about the principle of tithing. And, and I've been thinking about this um, because I've been thinking about donuts. Um, and these are some good-looking donuts. Now, this is not a dozen donuts. Um, this is actually... Um, only 10 donuts in there uh, because Pastor Cole got a couple of them before <laughs> church started. So there's 10 donuts in here. Um, and uh, I, I was just thinking um, I would bless someone with 10 donuts. It's not you, Rich, don't worry. <laughs> but you look like you could 
take some donuts. You, you don't have to see, you can sit back down, you're fine. Get the kids, I, let's go. Yeah, no, hey, we're not done yet, we're not done yet. Um, hey, but listen, us to you, blessings. Um, I, I hope that you enjoy, there's some good looking donuts in there. I'm sorry that Cole got a hold of two of them before they got to you, uh, but uh, listen, 10 donuts just to be a blessing. Um, enjoy them, enjoy them. Hey, but is there a chance that I, after church, because we've got that cafe time, could I just get one of those from you? Um, well, but we have children. I, I know you have. <laughs> <laughs> I know you have. I just gave you these donuts, man. I'm just asking for one back. Yeah, I know. You gave them to us, and no taker backers. I'm really regretting not giving them to you at this moment. All right. Well, listen. That's messed up. Um, I just want to say that's not okay. Um, those really did look good. Um, now, thank you for playing along. Um, thank you for uh, helping us see the greed of our own lives when God gives us all of our talent, when God gives us all of our resources, when God gives us opportunities to go to school and be educated in ways that we can have careers and make resources. And, and, and God blesses us. God allows us to be born in this country where we have freedoms and, and we can, I mean, God gives us so much. And then God says, can I have 10% back to further my kingdom? And we go, oh, but I've got kids. <laughs> right? I, yeah, I mean, I've got needs. And, you know, uh, this is what we do all the time. Now, again, if you're not a follower of Jesus, you get a pass on this part because God doesn't want anything from you. He wants something for you. But if you're a follower of Jesus and you have bowed your knee to the King of kings and the Lord of lords and you've said everything I have is yours, how dare we say, but no, 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 God, you can't have that. Tithing is not us giving 10% to God. Tithing is God giving us 90%. Let's be clear on that. Let's be clear on that. Let's pray and then let's respond to his goodness. Father, thank you for what you have given to us. We simply give back to you because we recognize everything is yours. Lord, I pray that you would use what we give in these moments to further your kingdom here in this place and around the world. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God has been so good to us. He has poured out his blessings onto our life. He has forgiven us for our sins. He has given us an opportunity to go to heaven and spend eternity in his presence. And he calls us to go out from this place and to not keep this secret, to be salt and to be light and to share this good news with others around us. Go in his peace and be that kind of church and that kind of people. You are dismissed.